If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Jack Morrison, the co-founder and CEO of Scythe Robotics, the creator of advanced commercial-grade autonomous robotic solutions for the landscaping industry. I'm a proud investor in Scythe, which just came out of stealth with an $18 million round in funding and debuted its all-electric, fully autonomous mower. Jack is a technical leader with a passion for connecting computers in the physical world. He has deep experience in computer vision and robotic software. He began his career as a software engineer building computer vision systems before a brief stint as a robotics PhD at George Washington University, where he researched long-term collaborative robotic autonomy and perception. Jack left academia to co-found Replica Labs, where he built monocular dense 3D reconstruction systems from early smartphone video. Replica Labs was later acquired by Occipital. Jack also holds a BA in computer science from Bowdoin College. Let's welcome Jack. Hi, Jack. I'm super excited to have you here today, especially because what you're building is pretty wild and pretty exciting. Um, so let's just start there. Let's start from the beginning. Um, in your own words, what is Scythe Robotics? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me, Alexa. This is really exciting. Looking forward to, to diving in here. So uh, Scythe is all about changing how we take care of the world around us. You know, we have a lot of beautiful green space in this country, and today the best way we have to care for it is old fossil fuel powered manual equipment that takes a ton of human labor to care for all this green space. And we at Scythe think there's a better way. You know, we think we can bring all electric, smarter, autonomous equipment to bear to allow the green industry, that is landscaping industry, to grow substantially and, and grow how much open space we have in this country. So Jack, you and your co-founders have been building sites since 2018, and you're now just coming out of stealth. Let's go back to the early days of you literally deciding to stand up the company. Just walk us through those first early days and particularly the science. Yeah, sure. So Scythe is really sort of the culmination of a few different journeys, I think, coming all together. You know, one was I moved out to Colorado about seven years ago as part of a PhD program, actually quit that PhD to start a company with a couple of guys from the lab and one of their friends, this guy, Isaac, who's now one of my Scythe co-founders. Uh, we ended up selling that computer vision business to Occipital here in Boulder a couple of years later. And I joined on as a computer vision engineer. That's actually where I met Davis, our third co-founder and our hardware lead. Um, you know, Davis was building state-of-the-art computer vision hardware. I was building the software that took in all that data and gave out things like 3D models, camera positions, and, you know, information about the world around those cameras. And I spent a lot of the time thinking about how we could leverage this pretty amazing uh, state-of-the-art technology for other applications and, and do some real good to the world. You know, I got into computers in the first place through robotics, making robots play soccer autonomously in college, actually. And 
I really loved being able to have a physical impact on the world. And, and so with that in mind, I spent most Saturdays, as many homeowners do, mowing my lawn. Uh, and honestly, it was just sort of a, a light bulb moment for me where I realized I'm really bad at mowing and robots <laughs> are really renowned for their ability to go back and forth in straight lines. It's kind of one of the things they're like really good at. And, and so with that in mind, I approached Davis and Isaac and, and they were initially skeptical. So Isaac actually grew up in the landscaping industry. He had no real desire to, to dive back into what is a very tough industry to work in, hot, sunny, sweaty. And it's not the sexiest area of robotics, I'll give people that. But once we dove into the impact that we could have and the feasibility of the technical solution, so you know, going back and forth in straight lines, using a lot of automotive-grade hardware that's out there in self-driving cars today, leveraging some of the advanced compute that's really come way down the cost curve and the, the lithium-ion batteries that have gotten substantially cheaper, we sort of looked at all of that and the, the size of the industry and the lack of innovation in it. And it just became obvious that this was something great that we could tackle and going well beyond mowing. We had all of these other opportunities. Where does Scythe fit into the future state of that $105 billion industry? And one of my fun facts about Scythe is that grass is actually the largest crop on the planet. It is the most prolific. Talk a little bit about the future state that you see in front of you and what Scythe can do. Yeah. So grass, like you said, is, you know, the, the largest irrigated crop in this country. It's about 2% of the entire lower 48 is turf grass is, you know, made up of lawns and parks and soccer fields. And so that's a huge opportunity and a huge amount of manpower and fossil fuels that go into caring for all of that space. And the landscaping industry as a whole has almost entirely been left behind by technological innovation. So, you know, there's a few software platforms that help with things like billing or route management, but nothing that really drives at their core problem, which is always labor, finding labor, retaining labor, training the people that they get to walk in the door to come work for them. It's just a problem for every one of the landscape contractors that we talk to. And we envision Scythe as giving our customers, these commercial landscape contractors, sort of a superpower to grow their business even faster than they're growing their headcount, to double their job count without having to grow their teams, just using the folks they have today. And, and that's going to be you know, across not only mowing, but other sorts of landscaping tasks and all of the software stack that helps them manage their business and manage their human resources, which really, like many tech companies, are their most important asset. So we often... Uh hear about robots, we think of them as replacing human labor. Landscaping has obviously faced a tremendous labor shortage. How do you think about Scythe replacing versus augmenting the labor market? And how do you think about those dynamics? Yeah, I think it's it's such a false dichotomy in, in robotics when people talk about automation that robots are going to be taking or replacing jobs. You know, I think first off, every one of our customers is dying to get more people in the door. And if we give them autonomous mowers that let them shift those people from mowing to other tasks, they're not gonna let go of a single person across any of the companies we're working with. They're so strapped that they don't even have people to do the jobs they have today, let alone take on new jobs. And so Scythe is really taking on tasks 
for our customers. It's not taking on entire jobs. Mowing is about 40% of the work done out there. So it's a, it's a big chunk, but we are really giving the workers in the field the ability to get off the mower, to get out of that sun and go do even more valuable and creative acts than just turning tall grass into short grass, which is you know what mowing is day in and day out. What does the site look like in action? Yeah, sure. It's it's a little bit bigger than a Roomba. So our machines are about a thousand pounds a piece. They look really, frankly, a lot like any commercial mower, uh, commercial stand-on mower that you might see mowing your school or your office park. They basically have a little platform on back where a human can stand and some hand controls on top. And that gives the human workers the ability to control them and use them just like a manual mower for very weird edge cases. But then the the differences you start to notice are the antennas on top. They've got a GPS antenna and a pair of cellular antennas. The eight cameras that ring the top of the podium that give it this 360 vision. And then, you know, the fact that it can just drive itself. So it's a big thousand pound steel white robot that'll be going back and forth in straight lines on on all these open properties. Jack, as you step back and you think about your go-to-market strategy and what you want to accomplish, can you walk everybody through kind of what the next three years could look like and what you're aiming to, to do? Sure. Yeah, with Scythe, you know, I think one of the most important things for us and and when we started the business was to make sure that we were building something that really solved our customers' issues. And I don't think about scaling as a who's first to build 10 or even who's first to build 100 mowers, but who's really first to bring 10,000 mowers to market to solve at scale the problems of the landscaping industry. And so we're on the fourth generation of our machine today. We've got a few in Texas in Florida and here in Colorado. And we're looking to scale up in all of those locations. We've got some awesome customers who pre-purchased machines, put down deposits, and are really excited about getting these mowers as soon as we are ready to give them to them. Uh, And so scaling up with those customers, making it the ultimate mowing machine, uh, as we like to say, so that we can help our customers grow their businesses before we go and add lots more customers. You know, there's mowing in every state in this country, but we're really laser focused on a few markets so that we can build the best machine early on before we scale up and, you know, possibly add uh, other headaches of supporting lots of different customers. Talk a little bit about you decided to go into Texas and Florida and obviously you're headquartered in Denver. Why Texas? Why Florida? How did you think about those early pilots that you set up? And then maybe talk a little bit about what does the fourth version have, right? You're on V4 of your robot. You're constantly making it better. At some point, you'll be on V20. But what keeps getting better? Sure. Yeah. So even before we started Scythe, when we were just having the very earliest customer conversations, we heard from landscapers all over the country in Massachusetts and Colorado that if you can mow in Florida, you can mow anywhere. And the grass there is just so thick and just so difficult to move through that landscapers across the country know that's the hardest uh, environment. And that's actually where a lot of today's mower incumbents go to test their machines. And so we actually went down to Florida really early on with our second generation of the machine. You know, truth be told, it could not mow in Florida. It had a really tough time down there. And and so we've learned a lot. The third generation was able to mow really well, the fourth even better. 
you know, and, and as for what keeps changing between the revisions, you know, I think as we learn and dial in on the customer's needs, we make little revisions. So more torque out of the motors was a big thing, adding more battery capacity and then building out this stander model. So it's, it's called a stand on lawnmower. You'll see them in tight areas, often in office parks where the workers have to maneuver very deftly and hop on and off the machines. And we ended up making our fourth generation and ultimately probably the next 15 iterations uh, stand on mowers because it allows this really fluid human machine interaction where the person can jump on, drive it around, do something, hop off, hit go, walk away. They don't have to like deal with roll bars or any of these uh, large pieces of equipment that keep people safe when they're riding on mowers. Yeah, and then, you know, looking ahead, the fifth, the sixth generation machines will just continue to improve the robustness, make them cheaper, and so we can produce more of them faster and faster. One of the coolest things that I think you're doing is really you sell Scythe through a robot as a service model. How does that work? How do you charge? And again, there's something pretty profound about how you're switching the industry about how they think about uh, your product. Yeah, you know, I, I call it a usage-based rental model. Um, so our customers pay us for the usage of the machine. And, and all of this sort of comes from thinking about how we bill from a, a first principles approach. So if you look at how incumbents, OEMs today, bill for their machines, they only make money when you buy a new mower. So if they sell a mower for, you know, ten dollars to $15,000, the big green company or any of the big orange ones don't see another dollar until you come back in to buy a new machine. And what that means is they don't have the incentive to actually build the most robust, longest lasting machine that their customers actually want because they need to keep making money. And if their machine never breaks and you never buy a new one, why would you come back to buy another unless you can grow your business, which is hard without automation. And so we looked at that and we said, like, that just really doesn't work for us. We don't want to be disincentivized at our core to not provide our customers with the best service. And so by billing by the acres mode by the machine, we win when our customers get more business done. When they are able to mow faster, do more properties in a given day, we make more money. And, and so at our foundation, that means we want our customers to grow as quickly as possible. Uh, and it also allows for some interesting sort of side benefits like very low down payments, upfront payments for the machines and, and you know, recurring revenue over time. Truly, you're in the business of putting knives on like little machines that run all over grass. How did you guys think about safety? I know you obviously took it really, really seriously, but give us a sense of just all the different protocols you put in place to make sure that these machines can be safe. Yeah, safety is paramount. You know, it's really a core principle for us because I think autonomy is really easy if you ignore safety. For us, there is no autonomy if it's not safe. Like you said, we have, you know, three 18-inch blades on this machine. It's a thousand pounds. It's going between five and eight miles an hour. And so we've layered, you know, multiple redundant sensors onto this machine. We've got overlapping 360 degree views of cameras that give us a stereo, stereo vision on each side of the machine as a sort of first far looking layer of safety. And then we've also got ultrasound. So ultrasonics like you have in the parking sensors in uh, automobiles today that give us this 
redundant, very hard to foul, as they say, to mess up proximity sensor that tells us when something's around the machine. And so by combining, by fusing these two sets of sensors, we can get really rich and uh, sort of foolproof safety information about what's around us and make sure that we stay away from anything that we shouldn't be mowing over. Here it is, 2021. You have such an interesting point of view on the future of autonomy robotics. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time learning about how we're going to see robotics in our kitchens. So many tasks that we don't need to do are going to be able to be automated, which is not going to take away jobs. It's going to free up new jobs. Give us just a sense of your predictions over the next decade as you fast forward, just given what a unique perch you are in. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. We will start to see robotics in a lot of really interesting areas. I think they'll start to show up like us on the commercial sort of industrial side of things in maybe non-obvious applications pretty soon that aren't home uses because home robotics is a really, really challenging uh, area to deploy automation. But in other sorts of commercial venues, we'll start to see smaller uh, tasks taken over that will allow for huge growth in all sorts of uh, these industries. And I, I think you really touched on it. Robots do tasks, not entire jobs. I think my, my favorite story around this is around the introduction of the ATM 40 years ago. Uh, you know, They thought ATMs would put all bank tellers out of work. And actually, after ATMs were deployed over the following 40 years, we actually ended up with twice as many bank tellers as we had the year that ATMs came onto the market. Uh, and so I think it's just a, another story about how automation frees up humans to do all sorts of other work. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on For Starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Okay, switching gears, tell us about Jack growing up. Did you know you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Let's go back to those early days. Yeah, no, it was never really something I thought about when I was young. Um, I grew up spending a lot of time outside. I was a Boy Scout, worked at a Boy Scout camp every summer, uh, maybe would have kept working there through college uh, if it weren't for finding this robot soccer team uh, at my undergrad institution and uh, just fell in love with robots at that point and spent every summer traveling the world, going to play robot soccer in different places. And, and when I graduated from college, uh, ended up doing robotics uh, at a big uh, sort of government research institution. First, I love that. And also, I'm like, what is robot soccer? I'm like, can you just give us one sentence? What's robot soccer? Yeah, RoboCup is this huge international competition. Uh, there's eight different leagues, uh, different types of robots, uh, people who build their own or buy off the shelf ones. And basically, I think when I was doing it, it was five on five uh, autonomous robot soccer. So literally you put a ball down, hit go, and the robots just take off uh, diving saves, penalty kicks, all the all the debt jazz. So Jack Scythe is not your first rodeo. You and your co-founder Isaac also founded Replica Labs, which as you mentioned, was acquired by Occipital. What did you learn from that experience? And given, you know, you have such an amazing benefit to be able to be back in the ring, you know, second time around. 
What do you feel like you've learned from having been a, you know, a, a founder prior and what do you take with you? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of founders have talked to this point, but it's always a roller coaster. Um, there's sort of no way around it, even for the companies that look like they are just a high flying rocket ship. There's ups and downs every day. So you just have to strap in and enjoy the ride. And I think taking care of your sanity and your mental health is the most important thing, because if you're not making it day to day, then your company has no chance of, of doing the same. I, I want to actually touch more on that. But what do you feel like you learned the first time that is easier the second time? And I fully appreciate that it is an emotional roller coaster to be a founder, but give us a few, like, what were the things that you're like, you know what, we don't ever need to do this again because we already learned our lesson or what are the things that you swear by because you've actually been in the ring? Choosing when it comes to what your business is going to be focused on, choosing a problem that's tractable on a short timeline and that solves an incredible pain point for your customers. I think those are two very important lessons I learned in the early days. Replica, we had amazing technology. Uh, we were a little questionable on our markets that we were selling into. And, and we've really taken that lesson, I think both of us, into Scythe and in that we need to be solving a pain point for our customers and checking in with our customers. You know, it's so easy to get stuck in the lab building cool technology, especially with robots that, you know, drive themselves around. It's cool to just sort of navel gaze. But if you're not out there putting it in front of customers and being told no some of the time, then you're not doing it right. We often speak with founders who have a co-founding team. How did you know that Isaac and Davis were the people that you wanted to build this with? And what just advice do you have for everyone listening on how you think about picking your co-founders, what matters um, and what you swear by when it comes to, to the people you work with? Yeah, you know, one of the things that really drew me back to working with Isaac was going back to that roller coaster analogy. It's it's people you want to ride that roller coaster with and who can keep a level head even in the face of adversity. You know, I think that's incredibly important. Davis had that at at Occipital as well. And, you know, the other thing that drew me to Davis, frankly, was he's a really scrappy uh, engineer. You know, he knows how to build something, get shit done, not go off and, and build the perfect thing that nobody needs, but actually solve problems on short timeframes. What do you swear by? I think all founders have some sort of one world different, but we do find um, the hacks, the personal hacks that help us stay super sane. What are yours? Yeah, you know, I wish I could come on and say I were one of those people who meditates every day, but I don't, but I do enjoy it every once in a while. I think it's a good uh, hack for calming your inner voice uh, sometimes. I, you know, I think being here in Boulder, we're also incredibly blessed with some amazing outdoor venues. And so skiing, snowboarding, hiking in the summer, those are some of my real go-to, you know, sort of de-stress, get out of the office activities and, and give me a good workout, <laughs> give me a good way to take my mind off and just enjoy being uh, in nature. When you think about handling stress, um, and you know, remember, you're, not only are you trying to build something that's incredibly unique, but a big, 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 big swing that if it happens is also really good for the planet. There's a lot of sustainability angle, which I do want to ask you a question on that and a bit of the mission of Scythe. But what have you learned about handling stress? How do you how have you gotten better at handling your own stress? Yeah, I think you just have to, for me personally, I can't speak to others' experience, but I have to keep in mind that the downs always come with another up. The sun will always rise in the morning, and I have just as good odds the next day of having a huge home run uh, as maybe I had, you know, a swing and a miss uh, on any other given day. So I think keeping that has really helped me level out my own uh, expectations and reactions to things and uh, 
keep us moving forwards. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint <laughs> to add some more cliches in here. Uh, and so you just have to remember <laughs> that you can't overdo it. You, you can't solve all your problems in one week. Uh, it's going to take some time. I want to talk a bit about the mission of Scythe because not only is Scythe a really tech forward solution to labor shortage and not only just like a fascinating swing, redefining how you can even think about landscaping, but it's also a really sustainable one. What is the current state of pollution in the industry and how is Scythe working to combat climate change, which is actually a pretty important part of the mission? Yeah, totally. So the landscaping industry, you know, all of the folks who work in this industry are really committed to taking care of outdoors. You know, that's why they're in this business. Most people don't start a landscaping business uh, for the incredible cash flow. They're in it because they like being outside and they like taking care of the outdoors. But the the OEMs, the incumbents really haven't given them the tools to do that without creating a lot of excess pollution. You know, I think there's a stat that driving a mower for an hour is equivalent to a hundred mile ride in your car in terms of air pollution, which is really astounding. And so by going all electric, we're completely eliminating uh, mower emissions. We're cutting the noise pollution down by about a factor of four or eight, uh, which is huge as well. You know, everybody knows how annoying it is to have a mower go by your window while you're on a conference call. I just keep praying that uh, our office parks mowers don't drive by today. Uh, and so we look at it as replacing all of this incredibly polluting small engine equipment with fully electric uh, machines to clear up how much air pollution there is. But I think there's one other sort of indirect way that we can contribute to fixing climate change. And that's the fact that green space is actually incredibly important for controlling how much heating and cooling buildings in urban areas require. This is sort of underlooked, but it it is a dramatic decrease in the amount of air conditioning in the summer that's required in urban areas that have really dense tree cover. The problem is it's incredibly expensive and time consuming for you know municipalities to have all of this urban green space. It's much easier in many ways to just concrete over everything and, and let it get really hot, but it's not good for the climate. And so we look at our mission, you know, in scaling humanity's care for the outdoor world as in part making it much easier to have these large green spaces that cool our cities much more naturally. Uh, and that in in its uh, in itself could actually be one of our biggest impacts uh, on the climate. Well, wow, I never thought about it that way. When it's Sunday night and you're looking at the week ahead and you're really excited, why? Yeah, hands down, it's just the the cool shit our team's going to pull off this week. I think I am always impressed week after week with the team we've assembled here uh, and having the chance to go now back into the office uh, with them, watch them work together and, and solve real problems. That's just what gets me going. One last just question. So let's talk about your ambition. Over the next decade, what do you want to build? What is it going to look like in 10 years? Yeah, you know, I think an easy comp is the the John Deere plus plus of the 21st century. John Deere is in, you know, dozens of industries from construction and forestry and agriculture to landscaping, uh, but they do it all with really manual, fairly polluting equipment. Um, and we have the opportunity to bring a new, a new way of looking at these problems, I think, to the landscaping industry and beyond and solve a whole lot of different problems. I think the other thing is, 
I'm really intrigued by organizations and people and organizational psychology and how to assemble a diverse group of individuals to solve problems together. I think this is one of the things I love about robotics is, you know, our first 15 hires, they worked on 15 different things. No one overlapped because it takes so many skill sets from mechanical and electrical and firmware to every layer of the software and operations stack uh, to pull something like this off. And so I'm excited to bring sort of a new model for organizations. Uh, to the world and, and create a really empowered, really creative company that can build robotics at scale. So Jack, we're going to quickly transition to like, I'm going to throw a few questions at you. Tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Bring it. Um, hey, what was the coolest moment you've had so far at Scythe? Oh, the coolest moment. Uh, I think the first time we got uh, one of our fourth gen machines down into Florida and let it rip on a field and it it just worked. Um, you know, the first three revisions, uh, They've got some bring up time. The fourth one, it just worked and started mowing. And, and that was just an awesome feeling. Favorite book that you come back to and again and again that changed your life? Yeah, I think uh, Isaac Asimov's Caves of Steel and then The Naked Sun, the two books, I think they're fascinating uh, sort of thought experiments of how humanity could move into dark urban caves and you know one person per thousand acres uh, worlds. And something you kind of see happening today in a, in a sort of spooky way. Um, what's your favorite interview question when you're interviewing somebody to join Scythe that really gets to the heart of who they are? Yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of sort of trick gotcha questions or anything like that. So I think my sort of basic one is just what is exciting to you about Scythe? Because we want people who are joining on who are excited about our mission uh, and, and want to build really amazing solutions alongside the team. Fast forward two years. Uh, how many days a week will we be in an office? You know, I think this one's hard to answer because I think it depends for us at least on how often people want to be in the office. Uh, you know, if you can do your best work at home, then stay home. Uh, come in maybe one day a week to uh, brainstorm in person, but other folks will be in five days a week. Last question, other than Scythe, what's another company or product or anything that you adopted during covid um, that you think is fascinating and everybody should know about it and you want to pay it forward? Yeah, uh, I'd go with Causal, uh, just sort of a, a seed. Maybe they just closed their A startup out of the UK. It's a forward, uh, like financial and modeling tool uh, that we've used to great effect to do forecasting here at Scythe and uh, love it. Think they should replace Excel. Uh, love to give them a shout out. Jack, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn about Scythe, first, Google Scythe and go check out what a lawnmower looks like. It's fascinating. And you can check out Scythe at scytherobotics.com. And you can join us next week for Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Let's all thank Jack. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. We are honored. Awesome. Thank you, Alexa. This was fun.